And I remember when him and I planted our first church, and, he, and I, he said, I think that we should do this for whatever. It was several things, actually. And I would be like, well, we can't do that. And he'd say, why? And i go, I don't know. We just can't. I mean, that's the way we've done it. That's the way you're supposed to do it. I mean, you have to have Sunday school, and then you have to have morning worship, and then you have to have Sunday night service, and then you have to have Wednesday night class. You know what I mean? That's, I mean, that was, and, and he was like, and, well, tell me why. And I was like, I don't know. That's just, that's just the way it is. That's the way it's supposed to be. Everybody knows that. And I didn't realize it in the time, and that was a minor thing, trust me. That was a minor thing. Some of the finger pointing that I did back in the day when I apparently felt like I was more self-righteous than others, I, again, thank God for his grace. I thank God for his grace. So anyway, sometimes we can get comfortable in our spiritual walk. In our spiritual walk. Sometimes God asks us to do things and we can look at him and say, nope, I'm pretty good where I'm at. I feel good in this, I, you know, not really a whole lot of bumps in the road. I can just stay on this path. God, I don't, I don't you know, I'll, I'll be honest. And I've told a few people in here and I'm sorry. I'm sorry if this ever, if I never want to offend anyone. Um, I'm just very, very honest. I don't know how else to be. I, I really don't. I'm very honest about myself. I'm very honest about my inadequacies. I'm very honest about my failures. So there's not a whole lot of surprise when it comes to those things, but um, I feel like we lack that sometimes. But anyway, um, Raji had uh, came to me when, after Pastor Tommy had passed away, and he said, I, I think that um, we should really start praying about what the Lord, what he wants us to do regarding the church. And he said, I really feel like that the Lord is, is calling us to be pastors there. And I'll be honest, I looked at him and I said, no, I'm good. I'm good being on the worship team. I'm good, you know, filling in wherever anybody wants me to fill in. You know, I'm pretty satisfied right here. You know, I, I don't need that. Is that too honest? Nobody's walked out yet. <laughs> but... Um, but then I began to ask the Lord, what do you want? Not what does Dina want, what do you want? And he uh, spoke very loud and clear. And when you ask the Lord, what do you want? He will speak very loud and clear, but you have to be ready for the answer. Because it's not always going to be the answer that you're looking for. So if you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3. JC, you're so great. Um, this is a New Living Translation, so I'm going to read it off there because I forgot I brought my other Bible. Um, Deuteronomy 1.3, it says, For 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him to say. Skip down to verse 5. While the Israelites were in the land of Moab, east of the Jordan River, Moses carefully explained the Lord's instructions as follows. Verse 6. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. So I, can we go back to that one just for a second? I just want to reiterate that last line. You have stayed at this mountain long enough. Okay? Verse 7. It's a time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites, to all the neighboring regions, the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, the Negev, and the coastal plain. 
Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Verse 8, look, I am giving all this land to you. Go in and occupy it, for it is the land of the Lord. Go in and occupy it. Now, I know it goes on to say, given to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their descendants, and that's true. But I believe what the Lord spoke to them, he also speaks to us. So look, I am giving all this land to you. Go in and occupy it, for it is the land the Lord swore to give. Okay? The Israelites had been in the wilderness for how long? Forty years. How long should they have been there? Yeah, a few days, a week, two weeks, I don't know exactly. Something like that, right? Does anybody know why they stayed there longer than they should have stayed? Complaining, right? Anybody ever complained before? Yeah, all right. So now they're at Mount Horeb, and the Lord has spoken a new word to them. However, at this point, they had become very, very comfortable where they were, right? They weren't like, hey, let's get up and start a new thing. If you remember, when they came out of Egypt, and the Egyptians started running after them, and they came you know, to the, to the river, and they're like, we don't know what to do. Just take us back to Egypt. They had even became comfortable in Egypt, and Egypt was horrible for them. They lived in slavery, they were malnourished, they were beaten, they couldn't even serve their own God, all of these things, but yet it was comfortable for them. And sometimes being comfortable is really a scary place to be, a very scary place to be. Um, JC, would you put that image up for me that I sent? I had her um, find this image for me. I was actually talking to uh, some people about it this morning. I was talking to Tina. I don't think she's here tonight. but And it, it's funny because when I was studying this afternoon, because I didn't know I was really going to preach until this afternoon. And so when I, was, um, st- when I was studying this image that I had talked to her about, I didn't share it with her, but I had talked to her about it. It came to my mind. So I looked it up, and I asked JC to pull it up. Um, does everybody get what that means? Sometimes we hold on to things because it's comfortable. Sometimes we hold on to things because we think it's better for us or we really like it. And we don't understand what God is holding for us because we won't let go of what we have. Because, see, he's not going to force anything on us. But we have to give things to him in order to receive what he wants us to have, right? All right. I think we kind of uh, smile when we look at her and we're like, oh, if she just knew, you know. I'd take the big bear. But we all do the same thing. We all look at God and we're like, I don't know what you're talking about, God, because uh, what I got right now is pretty sweet, so um, I'm just going to keep it. Um, I want this, you know, I want this relationship. Um, I want this job. I want this house. I want this car. I want, I want, I want. When God is saying, if you would just loosen your grip a little bit, I have something that is so much better than what you could even think or imagine. I know when I first decided to um, really make a commitment to Christ, I felt like I was going to have to give up so much. Anybody else feel that way? Yeah. Uh, I was raised in church. You know, you weren't allowed to have fun. You weren't allowed to have a good time, you know. I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wear shorts. Um, I remember my sister playing basketball in the eighth grade, and they had shorts on, and she had big white sweatpants underneath her shorts. It looked so tacky, but mom and dad didn't care because she couldn't wear shorts. 
I remember we had to wear culottes. Does anybody know what culottes are? Tana, yes, you were a church girl, you know. You know, yeah. We had to wear culottes. Don't even get me started on those. They were not in fashion. And, um, you know, you, you couldn't go watch movies. You couldn't listen to secular music. Everything was gospel. And I, I'm not even going to go on that. Everything was gospel. Um, you couldn't go roller skating. And God forbid you would swim with the opposite sex. I mean, there, there's no way because if you saw another seven-year-old, you know, kid of the opposite sex in their bathing suit, you pretty much were going to go to hell. I mean, that's, that's what we kind of... Am I the only one who was raised that way? Because that's, that's the way it was. I mean, we went to church camp, and, I mean, the, you, they put the girls in the pool, and the boys, like, they sent them, like, 30 miles down the road so they wouldn't get a glimpse. It was, I mean, it was very much like that. I remember growing, that, growing up and hearing that. I, um... Don't be scared. I'm already on page three. Just letting you know. Um, but what I realized is the closer I got to the Lord, the more I didn't really want to do certain things, right? I'm not talking about roller skating or going to movies or things like that. But those things that I thought I was going to miss out on, those things in my life that I thought I was going to lose, you know, um, I realized that the closer I get to the Lord, and even now, there are things that I want as an adult, as a person who's serving the Lord for many years. There are things that I think, God, I really want that. And he's like, no, I don't want that for you because I have better for you. And the, the more we get into that relationship with the Lord, the more we seek him, the more we trust him, the more we can understand that his ways are better than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Even though we think we know. I mean, you ask Raji. I know. You ask him. He'll tell you. Dina knows. I, I don't like to be a know-it-all, I, but I always have input about something, you know. He'll, he'll be like, I, I can't get my lawnmower started. And so Dina helps and says, does it have gas? <laughs> to which he shakes his head and says, yes, it has gas. But I, you know what I mean? I always feel that need to give my two cents. Sometimes when we go all, how many in here, okay, let me ask. And if you don't want to, you don't have to raise your hand, but I just want you to think about it. How many in here can say that when it comes to me and Jesus, like, I am all in? Like, I don't care what it's about. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if I'm embarrassed. I don't care what he asked me to do. I, it doesn't bother me. I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do. I want you to think about that. Am I completely all in for Christ? Because if we are, then one of these days, if he hasn't already, or maybe he's done it before, he will do it again, he's going to ask you to become uncomfortable. He's going to ask you to become uncomfortable. He's going to ask you to do things that are out of your normalcy. He's going to ask you to do things that you don't want to do. He's going to ask you to do things that you swore you'd never do. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to go up and pray for someone. I don't even know who they are. What if they don't even like prayer? What if they're a Satanist? Well, then they definitely need prayer. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, sing on the stage, or I'm not going to teach a Bible study. I'm not even going to teach, you know, the nursery because I'm, I know those two-year-olds and they'll figure me out that I don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Anything that we can do, and there are so many more things. Sometimes it gets a little bit deeper than that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is moving, and I don't know why I'm bringing this up because it's not in my notes, but sometimes the Holy Spirit is moving and the Lord gives you a message in tongues. 
That's very difficult to do. It's scary. It's scary. But I will say, if that happens and you miss it, the Lord is very gracious. And he knows. He knows us. He knows our hearts. I, don't, I really don't know why I'm saying this, but he knows us. And there are times that God asks us to do things that are very difficult to do. And sometimes we say, I'm not doing it, God. And he'll say, okay, because he's not ever going to make us do anything. But man, when we do, wait for your mind to be blown. Wait for your mind to be blown. Um, I had shared this actually with, um, I think I shared it with Sister Kelly, and I, I might have shared it with other people, I can't remember. But I've been really listening to a lot and really thinking more about, instead of being earthly-minded, being kingdom-minded. Everybody knows what that means? Think about, you know, eternal rewards instead of just here on earth, this 70, 80, 90 years, whatever we all have. And I had heard a man talk one time, a, a minister, and he was talking about how him and his wife had saved up about 10 grand, and um, they were trying to save money to, to put a down payment on a house. They really felt like the Lord wanted them to buy a house, right? That, that's what they wanted to do, I guess I should say. They wanted to buy a house. And they were in ministry, and they were asking the Lord. They were like, you know, God, we're just not seeing growth. We're not seeing what we, what, what we feel like you want, you know, um, we just, we're, we're not seeing, you know, people come in and get saved. We're not seeing any transformations. And we're, you know, what are we doing wrong? We're just doing everything we can. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and told him to sow that $10,000 into another ministry of a couple that they knew that they had gleaned from, that they had learned from. And he was like, I don't know if I, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, I mean, that's all our savings, you know. And he's like, I don't even want to tell my wife because she's definitely not going to be on board with this. Well, he did, and he went to his wife, and of course his wife said, if that's what the Lord told you to do, then do it. And so anyway, they did, and the, the couple prayed, prayed, prayed a blessing over them, and so on and so forth. But this is what really got me, is because he said, over the next, probably a couple weeks, he said, he said, I started thinking about heaven. And he said, I started, like, picturing myself in heaven. I started thinking about what's heaven going to look like. I started thinking about people in heaven. I started thinking about you know, what the streets were going to look like. And he said everything was about heaven, heaven, heaven. And he's like, I never really thought about heaven like that unless a sermon gave a, a, a preacher gave a sermon or something like that. He said, but I was thinking about heaven all the time. And so he said, I asked the Lord, he said, why am I thinking about heaven so much? And the Lord said, because now you are kingdom-minded instead of earthly-minded. And that really hit home to me because, you know, for the beginning years of my life, you know, I always wanted to serve the Lord and, and wanted to do things of the Lord, but I, I think to some extent I wanted to do enough to get by. You know what I mean? You know, maybe, maybe lead someone to the Lord every now and then. You know, maybe shout hallelujah every once in a while. But I want to be kingdom-minded. I want to know what does God want me to do for the kingdom. Because would you agree time short? Would you agree you have people that you know that aren't saved? Would you agree you have family that don't know the Lord? Would you agree that you know people that are playing games? We have to be kingdom-minded. We have to be kingdom-minded. And the only way for us to not be kingdom, or for, for us to stay kingdom-minded is sometimes for us to get uncomfortable. 
This sermon's about to get uncomfortable, and it's mostly probably going to be from me. But I'm telling you, the Lord spoke this to me, and I told Raji, I said, I don't know. They may not let you pastor after I get done. I don't know. Because I, I had the Lord take me to a place that I had never been before in the Word. Turn to Luke chapter 17 for me. Verse 30. This part of uh, Luke 17, Jesus is talking here, and uh, he's telling about his second coming. So starting in verse 30, it says, and it's going to be 30 through 35, it says, Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it, and if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. So you have all of this talking about when Jesus comes back, and there's going to be two men in the field talking about the rapture. Two men in the field, one's going to be taken, one's going to be gone. I remember that old song. Two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one's left standing still. Remember that? I wish we'd all been red. Yes, that was supposed to be a choir. Um, anyway, um, I remember that. I remember singing that, and I always thought that was such a scary song, actually. Um, but that's what this is about. It's talking. Jesus is saying, you know, when the end comes, this is what's going to happen. There are going to be two women out the mill, and they're grinding mill. I'm glad we don't do that anymore as women. I just want to point that out. But they'll be doing that. Now it would say, like the message version would say, two women would be shopping, and one of them disappears. You know what I mean? Gosh, I think I'm funnier in my head. Um, I, I didn't have that in my notes. That was on the fly. I thought it was funny. Um, anyway, but I want you to look at verse 32 because it doesn't fit. How many would say that doesn't fit? Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Would you say that didn't fit? It's like, hey, you know, when, Jesus, when I come back, that's what Jesus is saying, when I come back, there's going to be two men walking up a hill, and one's disappeared, and one's left standing still, and then there's going to be these two women, and they're going to be grinding at the mill, and, you know, and then they're going to have this, and you're going to walk around, and there's going to be you know, folded clothes everywhere because that's what happens on the movie Left Behind, and he's telling all this, and then all of a sudden he says, remember Lot's wife, and then there's going to be two women grinding at the mill. You see what I mean? kind of doesn't really make sense. So, Lot's wife, I'm going to explain this for, real quick for those who may not know who Lot's wife was. Um, in the Old Testament, in Genesis 19, Abraham and Lot were living in Sodom, or were living in Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if they were separate cities or what, but they were living in that area, and the Lord told him to leave because he was going to destroy the city, all right, because of the immorality and all different kinds of things. We'll get into that in a minute, but he said, whatever you do when you're leaving, you know, you're probably going to hear things, you know, you're going to hear probably yell, screaming and all of that, but he said, I don't want you to turn around and look back, right? That's what he told him. He said, whatever you do, when you're walking, when you're leaving the city, when you're fleeing the city, don't turn around and look back. 
And what does Lot's wife do? She does her own thing. She turns around. She looks back. She turns into a pillar of salt, right? Okay, so that's what the Lord is talking about when he says, remember what happened to Lot's wife, all right? So now turn to Ezekiel 16.49. This is where it gets sticky. Ezekiel 16.49, it says, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. So I was thinking about why, why would Lot, Lot's wife turn back? Why would she turn back? Do you think she was comfortable? Do you think she was comfortable in Sodom? Anybody? I mean, pride, gluttony, laziness. Basically, they didn't have to do anything. They could just sit around and eat all day. Sounds like a good life. But you think about it, she was comfortable there. Even though there was sin all around her, and the whole city was being destroyed, she was comfortable there. And something in her was going to miss what was there because it was comfortable for her. So what did she do? She turned around to have one more look, and it was the end of her. I'm going to keep going. So one night, a little over a week ago, I was sleeping. And by the way, Raji has no idea what, I was pre what I've been talking about, so this is a surprise for him too. So one night, a little over a week ago, I was sleeping, and in the middle of the night, I got woke up and immediately heard a word. Has anybody ever um, had the Lord wake you up and, and give you something, right? But this was a word I knew what it was, but I'd never thought this would be a word that the Lord would give me. But in the middle of the night, he woke me up, and I immediately heard the word Beelzebub. Is that familiar to anybody in here? Okay. So I knew what Beelzebub was, and, and here's the thing. I knew it was something that the Lord had given me because I immediately was awake in the middle of the night getting out my Bible app on my phone looking things up. It wasn't one of those things, oh, Beelzebub, you know, go back to sleep. It was like it woke you up out of the night. And so I started looking things up, and I was really a little confused because I couldn't really understand what the Lord was trying to tell me about Beelzebub. Um, I, I, did a little, I did some research at the time, and in the Old Testament, um, Beelzebub was the god of the Philistines, okay? That was their god. In the New Testament, if you remember, when Jesus was casting demons out of people, they said, oh, he is using the spirit of Beelzebub, remember that? In that case, they had, they had seen this association to where they had basically transferred Beelzebub into being Satan, Right? Beelzebub isn't Satan, but um, all the research and everything that I can... Now listen, I am not a connoisseur of all of this, so if you want to come and give me a Bible study later, you can. I only had this afternoon. But I will say um, that it looks as if like Beelzebub is like almost second in command, right, to Satan. He is known as Lord of the Flies, which also translates, which I actually think this is a better name for him, a Lord of the Dung which is manure, for people who didn't know that. Um, and it also is Lord of Filth. Lord of Filth. Um, so for several days, I couldn't understand 
why I woke up with that name. I, and even after that, after, after a day or so, I would think about it, you know, and couldn't really come up with anything. And then I forgot about it, actually. I forgot about it until today. And I was studying for today. And I came up with this scripture about gluttony. And I did know that on my research about Beelzebub is the most major sin of Beelzebub is gluttony. Now, I told Raji, I said, I think I told you this, I've been in church for 47 years of my life. Uh, not one time has ever, have I ever heard a sermon on gluttony. Anybody in here ever heard a sermon on gluttony? Why? Because we all know what it is and none of us like to talk about it, right? Don't worry, I'm not talking about the food kind anyway, so everybody can take a deep breath, all right? Because I knew that when the Lord was bringing this to me, it wasn't about food, like what we know. When we think of gluttony, I think our minds immediately go to the Golden Corral. You know, I'm full, I'm going to get one more plate. I've got to get my money's worth, you know what I mean? Man, I love that Golden Corral. So anyway, so I looked up the term gluttony. Oh, I lied, I have one and a half pages left. It's defined as greedy or excessive indulgence. Our minds immediately go to food, but there is very, very much more in it. The Greek term for gluttony means to waste. And this is where I, I'm asking you to love me. I am. I'm asking you to love me. Sometimes we can sit in church day in and day out and hear sermon after sermon and sing praise song after praise song and hear a word of the Lord, hear an um, interpretation of tongues and another interpretation of tongues and another interpretation of tongues but we are still not moved. We sit and we consume and we consume and we consume, but what do we do with it? Does it change us? Does it motivate us to be kingdom-minded? Does it motivate us to want to make a difference in this world? When the Lord fills us with his spirit and touches our life, does it make us want to go and share that with someone else? Or do we just bottle it up for ourselves and tell each other how we had a good service and then we go on about our way? And I ask this to myself. I'm not just asking you. So, And it's one of those things, if the shoe fits, wear it. I feel like that with every sermon. I feel like no matter what sermon, if it's somebody that really loves the Lord, I feel like you can get anything out of any sermon. If you can't get anything, then you're not searching because the word of God is power and the word of God is truth. And if the word of God is spoken, there is always something for Dina to know. There's always something for me to know because I don't know it all. I'll be the first to admit. If the Lord is instructing us to get out of our comfort zone and further the kingdom, but we choose to stay idle because it is comfortable here, would you call that a waste? That's what the Lord showed me gluttony was. It's consuming as believers. It's consuming as believers. I mean, we're so blessed, right? I mean, we don't live in, in, in China, and, and, and 
North Korea where, you know, you get one scripture, you know, one page of the Bible. I mean, we can sit and just eat all day long, right? We can just eat all day long. I mean, we got YouTube videos. We've got, you know, podcasts. We've got the radio. We have each other. We have all of these things, and we consume, and we consume all of these things about the Lord. I'm bettering myself in the Lord. I'm bettering myself in the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we just keep it within, what are, what are we accomplishing for the kingdom? We're not accomplishing anything for the kingdom. We are being gluttonous as churches. And in this Western world, when you have got a church on every corner, we should be the best evangelist that you've ever seen. But instead, they send missionaries to America. We have missed it. We have missed the boat, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I don't want to come in here and consume his presence and, 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 and consume the word and fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and leave here and not pour that oil out onto anyone else until next Sunday? Is anybody, under, is anybody with me? Is anybody here the Lord's heart at all? Because this isn't easy for me, but this is what I feel like the Lord... I mean, who preaches about gluttony? Wasn't number one topic in my choice. Who preaches about Beelzebub? We don't even like to say his name. But this I feel like, and the Lord prepared me a week and a half ago and woke me up and didn't give me any other... I don't know about you, but God doesn't give me the whole plan. He gives me a little bit. He gives me a heads up. Hey, this is coming. I had no idea. I always, always wondered why Lot turned around. And I never really knew because I was like, why would you turn around? And that, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job. That's the only thing he asked you to do. He didn't tell you to go out and witness everybody. He said, just don't turn around. How hard is that? Watch. See? It's not very difficult. Don't turn around. Thanks, Vicki. If you think about it, that was what she knew of her life. It was comfortable there. There was an excess amount of food. Life was easier. In Ezekiel 16:49, which he already read, this is the King James Version. It says, The iniquity of my sister Sodom is pride. Pride. Oh, that'll get us every time. Pride will keep us from doing what the Lord wants us to do. What will they think of me? I do not have enough scriptures memorized. I have... Do they know what I've done? Does God know what I've done? How in the world can he ask me to do anything? Has anybody ever had those thoughts? <laughs> Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. Abundance of idleness. Life was easy, but guess what? God never intended it for it to be easy. Right? That's that song, the Crab Family, I think, sings it. He never promised that the load would not get heavy. Right? He never promised that. He never promised us, hey, you come to me, and it's a smooth sailing after that. He said, you take up your cross and you follow me. He said, you do what I do. Jesus didn't come to this earth to train the disciples. 
Jesus came to this earth to be an example of how we're supposed to be. Jesus came to this earth so we would know how to do it. He brought the disciples along so we could see them, ourselves in them. That's what I think. I see myself in some of those disciples, and it actually gives me hope because then I can say, well, God, if you use them, then maybe I've got a chance. Comfortable is easy. God is needing us. He is needing us to be uncomfortable sometimes. He's needing us to step out of ourselves and our normal daily routines so that his kingdom can go forth. So I just ask this. Or maybe I'll just make this statement. I don't want this house to have a spirit of Beelzebub. There are too many people, guys. There are too many people who need us. I know this analogy, we've all used it. But if your neighbor's house caught fire and you knew your neighbor was on the couch asleep, would you not do everything you could to knock on the door, throw your shoes through the window, something, so you could wake them up to save them? Well, guess what? This entire community is on fire. It is on fire. And while we, as a church, and I'm not talking about individuals, I'm not pointing fingers to anybody, I am saying the church as a whole, and we can throw any other church in there, and they can throw themselves in there, but this is the house that we're in. This is our responsibility, right? This is our responsibility. We can only do what we can do. I, I can't make Chrissy do anything, right? Roger can't make me, well, actually, Roger probably could make me. We'll use a different one. <laughs> Brother Blind can't make me do anything. You know what I'm saying? We have, to, we have to do this thing that the Lord has asked us to do. And there is a community and there is a city that is on fire. And we pretend like they're not there. Sorry. We can't get caught up in, I can't do that. I work a job, I have kids, I have a family. I'm almost done, so. We can't get caught up in this mundane life because this is not our life. This world, our job, our problems, our goals, our money is not our life. This is fleeting. This is fleeting. I want to be able to stand before the great white throne judgment and look down the way and see someone that I told about Jesus. Now, I may not have led them to the Lord. God doesn't always ask us to do that. But he does ask us to plant seeds. He does ask us to water them. He does ask us to help till the ground. He does ask us to be a neighbor 
he does ask us to love others. And he does ask us to be like him. So don't get distracted by this temporary life. I don't even know if any of this all made sense. But I'm telling you, the Lord is saying to us, we don't have time. We don't have time. And if we are who we say that we are, who we post on Facebook, mother, follower of Christ, if we are who we say we are, then we have to be world changers. We have to be the voice of God because he, he uses people like this. And I, I want it to be me. I want it to be me. I want God to say, hey, Dina, I want you to do this. Now, does Dina every time say, yippee? No, because sometimes it's really hard. I'll be honest, sometimes it's really hard. But I believe that the Lord is challenging each of us. And maybe, you know what, maybe you've got it great, and I, I thank the Lord that you do. But for those of us maybe who don't, I don't want to just be a consumer. I want to be a giver. I want to be a voice. I want to be a difference maker. I want to be a light to someone who is covered in darkness and cannot see light. Because the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. You know, it's funny that that was said so long ago. The harvest is ripe and the workers are few. You know, because I can understand it back then. You know, it was a new church. It was new. Of course there wasn't a bunch of workers. I mean, they barely had even gotten out of that whole Middle East area. I don't know anything about geography. But they'd barely gotten out of that area, so of course the workers were few, right? But no, we've expanded. You know, we've got the Western world, and we've got the North, and the South, Australia. We've got all these places. So the workers must be many. Not for the amount of people we have. Not for the harvest. So, I hope you still love me. I just, uh, I really feel like that's what the Lord is challenging us. I really do. I feel like the, the Lord is preparing us for things that are coming. The Lord has sent many people into this church to prophesy things that are going to happen through this church, and I believe them. But it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. I was telling somebody the other day, I don't want to be at the station and watch the train go by and not have any part in it. Because the train's coming either way. The Lord is coming either way. His spirit is moving just like it did over the waters in Genesis. His spirit is moving. His spirit is 
and he is searching over the earth for those of us that would say, here I am, send me. Here I am. I don't want to miss out. Amen? Can we just pray? Would that be all right? You know, God, I, uh, I wonder all the time, why would you say something through me? And um, I think there are other people in this room that wonder if the Lord would ever say something through them. But God, I believe that you are speaking to all of us, all of us, and saying, it's you. You're the one I'm talking to. You have so much in you that you don't see. All you see is your failures. All you see is your inadequacies. All you see is I can't. All you see is your fear. All you see is your... um, fear of, of, of being rejected. But God, you called all of us, God, to go into the world. And God, I don't want to take this place and the things that you bless us with here and waste it. I don't want to waste anything, God, that you give. Because God, when you instill your gifts within us, God, when you instill your words within us, you don't want it wasted. You do do those things for us. But God, it's also, Father, for us to pour into other vessels for you, for your kingdom. God, we are running out of time And I believe, God, if we could picture you on the edge of heaven, on your knees, with your fist on either side, saying, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. There are other people out there that I shed the same blood for, just like I did for you. I am pleading, please go to them. Please speak to them. Please don't let another one get away, because I am running out of workers. I've tried asking other people and they tell me no. I try asking other people and they say I'm too busy. There's only time left to send so many. And I need someone on the earth to say yes. I need someone on the earth to say, God, please let it be me. Don't let me be afraid. Don't let me be ashamed. Don't let me worry about what I'm going to say. Whatever it is whether it's one-on-one, whether it's with a calling, whether it's with a class, whether it's with a ministry, whether it's no matter what it is, God, that you are asking us to do, God, you said that you would equip us. And God, we need it in this time. So I'm asking, God, just as you have put within me, I'm asking, God, that you would put in all of us, in all of us, God, that we would ask you, Lord, what you desire of us. 
and that we would just dare to be uncomfortable. That we would just dare to be uncomfortable because I'm pretty sure, God, that the cross was not comfortable. And when you said to take your cross and follow me, you said it for a reason because you knew that it would be scary. You knew that it would be a rough road. But God, you said that you wouldn't ever, ever leave us. So God, I ask, I ask God that you would give me grace in this room. And God, that people would understand, that people would understand God what is said in love? What is said in love? I thank you, God, for, um, I thank you for making us uncomfortable. I do. Because comfortable, <laughs> it doesn't help us lean in on you, like he talked about today. So make me uncomfortable. Make me uncomfortable, God, because I'll lean on you, and I trust in you. And one day, one day, God, we'll see the kingdom rewards. I love you, God, so much. I, God, I love you with my whole heart. I love you with my whole heart. I love you with every fiber of my being, and I just want to be what you desire. God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with all of these wonderful, wonderful people. Wonderful people. And God, that you would challenge us this week to not just be consumers. God, to share you everywhere we go. I love you, Lord. I give you praise. I thank you, God, for your word because it's so very powerful. In your name, Jesus, I pray, amen.